Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will piece through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let us pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for allowing us to take part in this season, to be able to uh, just break away from just all the drama that is going on in the world and be reminded of your sovereignty and of your work, to be reminded that you fulfilled your promises in sending to the world a Savior. And Lord, I pray that uh, this season, Lord, we would just be reminded of your promise that our Savior will return to this earth. And Lord, we love you, we honor you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh-uh. How you doing, fam? All right. You know, one of the things is we're talking about Jesus Christ being the light of the world. But I think I need a light up here. <laughs> we dim the lights, but I'm the blindest elder that we have. So, <laughs> hey, man, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Uh, again, my name is Alvin Weathersby. I'm an elder here at MacGav Community Church. And I welcome you. Uh, welcome our CSM family. Thank you for coming and glad to see you here. Um. Today we're going to be talking about um, peace, um, specifically the comfort that comes uh, with the peace of Christ. You know, this world is a miserable comforter. And I say that because I was thinking about Job. And Job was a man who lost it all. He lost all his wealth. He lost all his children. I mean, he he was just at just a place of just total brokenness. And so, but Job had these homies, right, who wanted to comfort him. And they meant well, right? You know, they saw their boy, they saw he lost his kids, or he lost, well, they were just kind of like, you know what, we all got to go to Job's house. You know, with some spaghetti and chicken, because that's what we do. 
I don't know. I've been talking about funerals and death these last couple of sermons. But anyway, they came over with it and they started to minister to Job. And they were going on and on and on. And they were so long winded and they were just pontificating about the world and everything that was going on. And, and basically their counsel could be summed up as, man, that sucks for you, bro. You know, your only hope is death. Right. But Job, you know, he usually when someone give us some counsel that's not necessarily the most comforting thing we usually go thank you thank you all right glad you came and but job was just real he was just like man look y'all some miserable comforters (laughs) right i mean he just kept it 100 with them you are some miserable comforters and the reason why is because job's soul was hurting right And when your soul is hurting, when you've been just cut to the core and just hit with the most tragic of circumstances, worldly cliches and worldly wisdoms, it just ain't going to cut it. And I look at the world and we done had a rough year, right? Man, you just look at your social media feed, you look at the news and it's just chaos. It's just misery. You know, I was just following about this young lady. I think her name is Centennia Brown. And, you know, I'm reading her story and she got life in prison for killing um, a man that was who bought her. Um, well, I know we got young folks. I don't want to get rebuked, but prostitution. And this was a young girl that was abused and she was uh, generationally abused. Her grandmother was abuse victim. Her mother was an abuse victim. She was adopted. Her adopted parents abused her. She ran away, ran to a man who used her, who pimped her. And eventually she wind up killing. And she was like, what, 13, 15, 16 and she got life. And you just look at the misery, you go like, man, just every point of her life, it was just pain. And you think about Libya, right? People free, uh, fleeting um, war and oppression and wind up finding themselves caught and sold into slavery. You know, we've been talking about uh, issues with race in this country, the political chaos that's going on. Um, so it's political chaos, it's social chaos. But now we're in the most wonderful time of year. <laughs> right? And it's that time of year where really... The world, we know Advent, what it's about, but the world kind of go like, hey, we could bring peace to the world, right? Through our, the way we love. We could bring peace to this world through our, our joy, and we could bring peace to the world through our hope. And, and they begin to minister to one another and just minister to the world, and there's all these songs, and it's just this great, beautiful time. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the lights. You know, I even love some of the movies. But at the end of the day, all they have to offer 
is miserable comfort. Because how can a world of broken, sinful people bring peace? The word peace, it speaks of wholeness and restoration. And the same people, us, (laughs) right, that brought sin in the world, that rebelled against God, that brought in all this destruction and all this misery, starting with Adam and Eve and extending to us, how are we going to reconcile all this? And as Christians, we're living in this world, and even though we are experiencing the peace of Christ because we have been reconciled to our Father, we still look out and you see this misery. Now, family, when you look at the world, what does what does it do to your heart to see all this? You know, sometimes I know I get angry and I just want to just fight and yell. But my carnal ways of bringing peace will only contribute to the chaos of the world. And so, family, I pray that we can be like Brother Simeon, who we're going to talk about this morning, who through all the chaos, through all the misery in the world, he was found waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was found waiting for the salvation of Israel. Because that's what consolation means. It means comfort. And we know that we serve a God who is a comforting God. Because when Adam and Eve messed up and before he kicked them out the garden, he didn't just send them away with no hope. He comforted them to say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to save you. And so when we see that He's a brother that's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the salvation of Israel, the salvation and comfort that can only come through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So we start with verse 25, Luke chapter two. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation and the, uh, the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, Brother Simeon is a man that we really don't know a lot about. Actually, all we know is what is in these passages of scripture. But at the same time, we know a lot about him. In fact, we could say we know everything about him. Now, we don't know what type of ministries he had. You know, uh, we don't know uh, where he was born. We don't know who his parents is. We don't know his zodiac sign. Right. We don't know any of those things. We don't need to know his zodiac. Just anyway, um, <laughs> but we don't know anything. But what we do know is that one, he was righteous and two, he was devout. And that word righteous means just. And so there was uh, the thing was he was one. He was justified by his faith. He was a man that realized that, man, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And he put his trust in the God of Abraham and the God of his fathers who were given a promise that he God will through Israel bring about that Messiah. 
And so he believed in that hope. And because he believed God was who he said he was and and that God would do what he said he would do, he was counted as saved. But he was also, this word just means that he, he did right by people. He was a good dude. He was somebody you would like to have as a neighbor. He was somebody that that treated men fairly. He was someone that probably took care of the poor and the widow. Uh, he was someone that uh, you could depend on. He was this, that word righteous just means he was just right with men. And so he's a man that was right with God and he was a man that was right with man. He was righteous. And then it also said not only was he righteous, but he was devout. And that word devout, you know, a lot of times you may think of it meaning, I mean, like religious, right? Um, oftentimes you will have someone go or you will see someone and they're doing all these outward expressions of religion, right? They come to church every day. They give, right? You never see them. They don't cuss. They don't watch Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> right? They don't do none of these things. And we look and go, man, that person is religious. But what devout means, it, it, it points more to the inward expression of a man's heart. It means to, to handle well, to be cautious. And so Simeon was a brother who didn't take God's word flippantly. Uh, he was a brother that was really concerned with the things of God. He was a brother that was truly a God-fearing man. And he was so different from the religious folks of his day, right? He was so different from the Pharisees who were legalistic. They were the moral police. They were the ones who would um, um, want to be seen in the public square. And they're kind of like, look at me. And they would uh, basically oppress you know, others and exclude their own countrymen, their own fellow people who they felt that was either common Jews that wasn't on their level or they created systems where you had like super centers, right? And so that was the Pharisees. They had this outward expression, right? But they wasn't living devoutly. And then you had the Sadducees who were... um the political religious compromisers, they were the dudes that would be like, yo, I, I believe in God, but I'm not religious. You know what I mean? You know, and you kind of like, nah, I don't, but I get you right. One where it's kind of like, I believe in God, you know, I'm not like them atheists, but I don't do anything God tells me to do. Right. And they're totally comfortable with it. And so he wasn't a man that, was flippant with God's word. He held to the truth. And his life wasn't about just a simple, religious, outwardly expression, but that he was truly concerned. And so when he looked out into the landscape and he looked at the world and he seen Israel, uh, a nation of, that was supposed to be a light to the world, Right? And he looks and sees this nation caught up in unbelief, to see them oppressed, to see them lost all political uh, power and influence. 
They were supposed to have this great influence to the world, and now that's gone. They were supposed to be a light, but they lived in darkness themselves and unbelief. This broke Simeon's heart. And when you look at what's going on now, man, it's so heartbreaking, isn't it? I mentioned everything about the political and the social unrest, but even in the house of God, even in the church, man, I mean, when I just look at the racial just division and I'm reading and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter and I'm going through and I see this black media outlet, The Root, um, and they just kind of report on a lot of things that's going on in black culture and, you know, um, giving their take on it. And I see that they have this article on Lecrae. And basically, Lecrae, if anybody knows who Lecrae is or doesn't know who Lecrae is, he's uh, a Christian rapper. Um, really good lyricist, good brother in the faith. But he has shifted to really begin to talk not just only about conservative issues, but also social justice issues, which really has brought um, a lot of um, scorn upon him because people are like, oh, you're preaching a social gospel. Oh, you're selling out oh, all these other things. Now, the one thing is, is it's one thing when it's an in-house discussion. But man, when it's out into the world. And the world is like, look how they treat their own people, right? What kind of testimony, what kind of witness is that? And so that's just one of those things where we just live in these heartbreaking times. And when we look at the world like Simeon did, who looked at the world through righteous, devout eyes, we should be broken in the same way that he was broken. And so he was righteous, he was devout, but he was also hopeful. Because the scripture says... That he was waiting for the constellation of Israel. Now, I spoke earlier about what the constellation of Israel is. It's the fact that um, he was waiting for the salvation. But it's interesting, like here, right, the word for Jesus Christ is used as a comforter. Right. And it's just such a good reminder that Jesus was a comforter. Because that's what we need in these tough in these tough times. You know, when you just look at the character of God and we see that he's love and merciful. And, and there's just the beautiful times where you could just pick one thing about God to meditate on it, to meditate about his beautiful character. And it brings you peace. Well, here, you know, I believe Simeon Hart was just meditating on the fact that God was a comforter. And we see this take place in Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. Now, I don't have that verse here, but if you got your Bible, if not, there should be a Bible in front of you in your pew. If you would just turn to Isaiah 40, 1 through 2. And if you have one of the church Bibles, can you just yell out the page number? 387. 387. All right, when you get there, say amen. Now, don't be prideful. If you didn't find it, you just kind of stop looking because you don't want everybody to hear. 599. 387. Are y'all there? 
Amen. And it says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare, her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a, a messianic prophecy. So it speaks of the comfort that is coming with Jesus, but then also um, what he would do with his saving work. And so I love it when it begins where it says comfort, comfort. And it's that emphasis. And it's just getting his people, Israel, who was in bondage, who was defeated. And he's wanting to cheer him, cheer his people up by telling them that comfort is coming. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you, I grew up and even sometimes now you hit those rough pay periods where you're struggling to make ends meet and your comfort is Friday, Friday, right? <laughs> Payday, <laughs> right? Because you're looking at your gas tank and you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it back to work. You know, you're looking at the refrigerator. You're like, yo, we eating peanut butter and jelly all week. You know, you got the DTE shutoff notice. And so, again, you're just like, Lord, I'm just holding on. I'm just holding on to Friday. But then when Friday come and that money come in, you just like, whoa, peace. Praise the Lord. And you go from peanut butter and jelly to like we're going to Popeye's, right? But that is what he's saying. He's saying comfort and comfort. And we know, right? And we know how to anticipate. We know how to anticipate for comfort because there are so many miseries in this world that forces us to be in these stressful, anxious times, right? And I bring up just kind of the temporal type of things like struggling with the finances, but it's also, again, when our soul is hurting and when we're struggling. And so here, God is saying, Jesus, Jesus is coming. And then when Jesus come with him, it's going to be an end to the warfare. What it's talking about, there's going to be a day where there's going to be an end to all our life trials. Well, there will be an ultimate end. And we'll talk about that later. But then it's also that warfare, right? When he comes You know, we will be able to have what it talks about, that peace that surpasses all understanding. When you're able to experience joy and joy and peace, even when you're going through the most tough circumstances. That warfare. But then also in that second part of that scripture, not only the warfare or just dealing with the misery of life, but the warfare that was you and God. You see, the thing is, it's one thing to deal with your neighbor and have these issues going on. But we also, because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we are separated from God. We are in a state where we're either pursuing false comforts, right? Because some of you, that scenario I gave about money and payday, you never, ever experienced that. You're kind of like, I heard about it, but I haven't personally experienced it. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
But don't let that false comfort or comfort allow you to be blinded to the fact that you are also a sinner. And though you may have your bank account fat and you may have cool marriage, you are still in rebellion against God because it's still your sin that contributes to the brokenness of the world and contributes to the brokenness between you and God. And so you need a savior. We all need a savior. And so when Jesus Christ comes and he, and in his life and work, he secures for us and his death, he secures for us salvation. We now can have true comfort and true peace. I mean, remember when you got saved? Anybody remember that day? What was you going through? You know, I remember all the things that I was going through. I remember it, and I don't want to go through all that, you know. It's a long story. But I just remember at that moment when I realized Jesus Christ, when I, the Lord revealed to me who he was, it was just like, wow, peace, comfort. I knew everything was going to be all right. I didn't know much, but I was like, man, you know what? Everything is going to be all right. That's the Christian posture in this world. Even though we look and we see all this, we go, no, everything's going to be all right. My Savior is going to come. And I'm going to trust in him. And more than I look at what's going on, I'm going to look at his word. And I'm going to live this devout life. And I'm going to hold on to the promises. You know, I love Mary, Jesus' mother. As she was going through, you read about her. And, uh, and as they were saying, man, this is what your baby is going to be. This is who Jesus is. And she just marveled, right? She treasured all those type of things. And we too, as we're enjoying this Advent season, I pray that you're just treasuring all that is going on. That as we were singing the, all these beautiful songs today, and as we went through the Advent call, that you will just be treasuring it. And that treasuring would give you true peace as you enjoy this holiday season. But, and so that's what this coming Messiah was doing. And that's what uh, Simeon was waiting for. And then scripture says he was righteous, he was devout, but then he was, uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the spirit was upon him. And whenever you see that the spirit was upon someone, um, it means that he was about to be anointed for a special ministry, a particular ministry. Oh, chapter, uh, can we go to verse 27? And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arm and blessed God and said. So Simeon had the spirit upon him. He, um, the Lord had revealed to him. I don't know. We missed that scripture. The Lord had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Savior. Right. Man, how hard you got to be praying and longing for the Lord when you just get this special revelation. Right. But it's by God's grace. And so he said, look, Simeon, you've been praying for this. You're not going to die until you see it happen. 
And so Simeon, being the trusting brother that he was, goes to the, the temple. And we don't know the time lapse. We don't know he told if, you know, he told him years before the Messiah came or maybe it was the day of or maybe the day before. We don't know all that. But what we see is that he was this he was a spirit led man. And as we look at scripture, it says uh, what uh, the Lord orders the steps of a righteous man. And so Simeon being that righteous man here, we see the Lord ordering his steps. And so in God's providence, he goes to the temple and in the temple, he meets Mary and Joseph who was there going through uh, uh, several different uh, rituals, the purification ritual as well as presenting Jesus to the to priest. And so a normal day in the temple is probably crowded. Everybody's taking care of their business. And somehow Simeon crossed paths with Mary and Joseph. Now, I don't know if... He was just standing there and saw Mary and was like, hey, how you doing? Where you from? Right. Because Jesus wasn't anything spectacular. He was just a common baby. Right. But somehow, was not somehow, the Holy Spirit prompted and told Simeon, that's him. Now, what do you think Simeon did? Right. He didn't just look over and say, oh, that's a cute baby, right? He scoops up his Savior, and he begins to sing. You know, when you look at the first couple of chapters in Luke, it was really, it was a very musical couple of chapters. It was something that just brought out singing to hear about the Savior coming to the world. When Mary was met by the angels and told of her special calling that she would bring the Messiah into the world, she sang. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Christ, sang. The angels came down from heaven and with the shepherds, they they sang. It was like Hamilton going on. It was just all this singing. And I don't know about you. It is not Christmas until the singing start. For me, it's not Christmas until I hear temptations sing Silent Night. Right? It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mama cooking cabbage and collard greens. I hear you, sis. Now, that wasn't necessarily an Advent song, but it was a jam. Amen? <laughs> Uh, praise the Lord for Sister Edith. Now, but he began to sing. And you know, that's kind of, that's the proper response, right? Because in Isaiah 52, 9, God says that when I do this, when I deliver to you my, your comforter. It says in Isaiah 52, 9, break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Isaiah 49, 13 says, sing for joy, O heavens and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing for the Lord has comforted his people and will and will have compassion on the afflicted. Man, we should, man, when this sermon is over and we get to sing again, 
You should sing like no other. Because comfort has come. Amen. And so Simeon begins to sing. And he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Won't he do it? As Pastor Leon talked about last week. Y'all remember that? Or the week before? Won't he do it? And seeing his savior, he was ready to die. He lived a full life, right? He came to know God as his savior. He, he loved well. And now he sees God's promise fulfilled according to how God said it would happen. And now death for him no longer had a sting. Because he was looking at his precious savior face to face. And you know, we're all going to have that moment when we die and we see Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or maybe he comes before we die and we are raptured and we meet him in the air to see him face to face. We're all going to have this Simeon moment. Let's give us comfort to know that it's going to be all right. And then I love what he says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. At the time, Israel was looking for salvation from Roman oppression and bondage. They were looking to overthrow the political structure. They were looking to make Israel great again. If, in other words, they were looking for their own salvation. But here Simeon said, I am waiting and I have seen your salvation. You see, Simeon recognized that in his hands, he was holding the great prophecy that that when we go to Isaiah verse chapter nine, verse six, it says for to us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. This was going to be God's salvation. That everything we messed up, He was going to restore. He was going to make whole again. And that's who Simeon had in his hands. And he says, and to bring back, uh, oh, to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's salvation just wasn't for Israel, just wasn't for the Jews, that it was going to be global, that he was going to be a light into the darkness of the world. You know, nowadays, I don't know if any of you heard that that term woke. Anybody familiar with the term woke? Now, I'm not totally against the term, you know, but now it's been appropriated from its original meaning. And and basically what woke means as it's used now is it mean it's it's really a self-righteous expression of your political beliefs. 
it's really like the idea like, man, I am culturally aware of what's going on in the world. And this is what it is to be woke. But oftentimes you only see a particular sin issues. You only particularly see things that are you're not guilty of doing. So you could be like, man, I take care of the poor. I don't oppress. I don't do any of these. I'm not a sinner like those conservatives are. But the reality of it is, is like you truly not woke unless you've been regenerated and been born again. You see, you need an awakening, not an awakening, right? You need an awakening of the Holy Spirit to point you to Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And he's not just a light. He's the light that came into the darkness to preach the truth of God. When he came to this earth and he walked with us, he preached the truth of God. The Bible says he came full of grace and full of peace. This was the light. And this is what Israel missed. They thought it was going to be all about them. But no, God said there's, and I think in Isaiah, he also says, no small tax for me to just save one people. And he talks about going out and his plan for salvation was going to save the world. In John eight twelve, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Acts 26, 17, 18. Oh, 17 through 18, it says, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith by me. Jesus is the light of the world. And as the church, as we follow the example of Christ, now we go out into the world to be a light, to preach the gospel, to preach truth so that woke eyes can truly be awakened. Amen. Amen. Now, the next portion of this, it doesn't sound very um, Christmassy, right? All right, because when Christmas, we don't talk about the trials of Christ. But here what we see is, as Simeon is singing, he turns and then he blessed Joseph and Mary, and they marveled. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. It begins to get a little, a little dark here. Because this baby that you've given birth to, this baby that's going to be the Messiah, he's going to have a divisive ministry. It's not just going to be the cute little Jesus that we see in the nativity scene. He was going to grow up. And he was going to challenge the system. And all these self-righteous people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Scribes, all these people who, 
who, who thought of themselves as righteous, who thought of themselves as being a light, who had all these ideals of salvation. He, Jesus was going to challenge that. Jesus was going to challenge and he still is challenging those people in our society who says, I believe in God, but I'm not religious. He's going to begin to challenge those thinking. He's going to set himself apart to say, it's not Muhammad. It's not by Buddha. You know, it's not by, um, it's not because you're a black Hebrew Israelite or it's not because you're in the 5%. It's not going to be because of any of these different cultures. It's going to be because I am the way. I am the only way. And people don't like to hear that because if Jesus is the only way, that means you got to do things the way Jesus has commanded us to do things. And if Jesus is the only way and the light that he brings into the world, which is the truth of God, and that goes counter to your truths, right? Because what everybody is saying, hey, live your truth, right? But when your truth don't line up with God's truth and people are calling you out on it, and people don't take that pretty like they don't take that lightly. Now, we don't really see that as much in this country. Because when we beef in the public square, right, or when we talk about Jesus in this country, what seems to happen is you got conservative Jesus and you got social justice Jesus. And then, you know, if you're conservative, you found a camp and you could talk about Jesus all day through these conservative lenses. Or if you're in a social justice camp, you could find your little click and you could hang in that click and you could talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And nobody would challenge you because your Jesus is not divisive. Your Jesus agree with everything that you, that they believe in. But what happens when you begin to, inside of your camp, buck the system? Now, believers all over the world are already experiencing this. You know, when we talk about the persecuted church, they already recognize this, Right? They already recognize the divisiveness of Jesus' ministry because they're already feeling the pain of it. They're already feeling the pressures of it. And man, I think oftentimes we think as the American church, we got it set. We, we create the doctrines, rewrite the books. You know, we send all that out into the world. But, you know, I was just thinking like, man, I really need to read more from the writings of the persecuted church. It's so hard for me through my American lenses to feel what they're going through. But I'm telling you, and I'm not saying thus said the Lord. I do think that there's a time because darkness like darkness and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the only thing that they had in common was they hate Jesus. And eventually all these political structures, all these conservatives, all these social justice, all these woke people, all these moral cultural world people, eventually they're going to realize like, Hey, we got something in common and we don't like these church folks. And then we're going to feel the heat. That's why I want to encourage you, not just during Advent season to be uh, seeking, thinking about uh, the coming of Christ and to think about peace, joy, love and all those beautiful things. This should be a way of our life. This season is just simply reminding us. But we have to prepare for what may come. And again, I'm not thus at the Lord, so please don't say Alvin. Is saying this, but man, we got to have discerning eyes to realize like eventually we're going to catch it. 
but it's going to be all right because our comforter, he caught it. He said you would suffer. And then we go to the special word for Mary. Let me bring it up. And it says in verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Oftentimes we think about Mary and just, right, how joyful it was to be the one chosen to bring the Savior into the world. But she was going to be a woman that was going to experience some uh, uh, sorrows that no other mother will have to experience. It talks about um, John nineteen twenty five. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clapus, and Mary Magdalene. Mary stood at the cross, and she saw her baby. There was the element of like, yes, this was her Savior. We all, when we think about it, we're saying, man, our Savior Right. He was killed for our transgressions. But this was Mary's baby. And I know every mother can you you can kind of get that right because you don't want to see your your baby harmed. But what Jesus she had to watch Jesus live a life where the world was in opposition to him. Just didn't start at the cross. Can you imagine? You know, I think about. Raising children. And I look at my beautiful sons and daughters and my grandbaby. Well, she's coming up here. Praise the Lord. But I think like, man, I'm raising them to love people, right? To love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love the neighbor as they love themselves. But then I'm also raising them to be hated by the world. Isn't that... Isn't that crazy? You know, as parents, you know, we want our kids to grow up just to be upstanding citizens. That's cool. But I'm teaching them a gospel. And you're teaching your children a gospel that is going to bring them some pain and suffering. Now, if we, again, I don't want to say we can suffer. We're going to suffer the same way that Mary will. But just trying to get us like to think about like our precious child and to see them suffer because of their faith. This is what Mary had to endure. And I wonder as she was in those quiet spaces, those places, all she had was those things she treasured and remember what the angel said to her. And what was prophesied to her. At the end of the day, sometimes you're going to be in a space where you may not have any, anybody around you. Those times when you're just in your room or you're somewhere alone. You know, sometimes it's hard to respond to comforting of the believers. You ever had that? 
when someone is trying to comfort you and they're telling you something that is like biblical and it's true, but you just can't, you can't hear it. It almost sounds cliche-ish because you are um, struggling. Or, you know, somebody say, well, count it all joy. you like, seriously? Count it all joy? Now, it's perfectly biblical. We should count it all joy. And I just hope, just as Mary treasured it, that's what we need to do is treasure these truths again. Because when you're in that quiet place and you're all by yourself, sometimes all you have is that word to hold on to that you've meditated on, that you studied, that you uh, prayed to the Lord that he will help you live it out, to go deeper into it. I love David because if you go through the book of Psalms, by today's standards, I don't know, he probably would be considered bipolar because you see him go through these ups and you see him go through these downs. But in the midst of it, he will just minister to himself to say, so why are you so vexed? Like hope in the Lord. And so I'm praying for us in this Advent time that it'd be a time of great celebration a time where you would just get your singing on like Simeon, that your house would be just filled with the lights to just remind you of that Jesus Christ is the light that came into the world, that the music will help you worship God for who he is. And I pray that we all do this as a family, as Eric said a couple of weeks ago, because sometimes it comes down to we all we got and God and it was what when Paul says I comfort you with the comfort that I've been comforted with comfort one another with that comfort because I'm going to need it and I need to also know I need to be ready to give it to you now again that didn't sound that Christmassy but what came into the world little baby Jesus He was an expression of love. Now, the world has appropriated Christmas, as Leon said. I don't think he said appropriated, but I'm woke. I say appropriated. <laughs> right? Because these concepts of love, joy, peace, and hope, those are, that's ours, right? We, we brought that to the table. And the world says, you know what? We kind of like that. But we're not really religious, so we'll take the God peace out. But in Jesus Christ's suffering, like his humiliation, right? The humiliation of Christ, the fact that he left heaven to come to this earth, right? To suffer for us. That's why he came. That was the incarnation. That was God coming to us to dwell with us to say, y'all have been tripping from the get-go. But I wanna, I'm going to save you. I'm going to show you what it is to love the Lord and to love your neighbor. And I'm going to take my perfect life. And I'm going to die for you. That was the love that came for us. That we celebrate here on Christmas. The world can't love like that. Christmas should be the most evangelistic time of the year. Because the world is throwing us softballs. Right? I mean, love, joy, peace, hope. And you should just knock everyone out of it with the hope of Christ. With what Jesus came. For God so loved the world. I'm glad you got love on 
the lights outside your house. Let me tell you about the, the God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right. I know you're talking about joy. But I want to tell you about Jesus Christ, who in Hebrew twelve twelve, looking to Jesus, it says the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne. You want to talk about joy? I could tell you about joy. I could tell you that when that when Jesus came, he counted it all joy. He counted joy to go to that cross. And now he sits at the right hand of the father. He sits on the throne. Amen. Hope. You want to talk about hope? Let me tell you about a resurrected hope. Right. Our hope again is rooted in something concrete. Not man's love. Not a political structure. You know, I love what Shai Lin said. He says, Trump is the president, but Jesus Christ trumps the president. We ain't got to worry about any of those things because we have a resurrected hope. I know I'm going to see my savior. I know I'm going to see my comforter. I want you to see my comforter. I want you to take peace and find rest in our comforter. And in peace. All his drama, all the things that he had to face it ended up in being the greatest act of peace. Because because of what he did, we now can experience peace. We can experience peace with God. We can experience peace in our relationships. Right? And we can go out into the world and we could preach peace. Now, we're not going to see it ultimately to when Jesus comes back. And I love in the book of Revelations 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can you imagine a time where there's going to be no more mourning, no more pain, it is our brokenness and our sinfulness that brings all this into the world. It's, 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 it's us that struggles to keep relationships. It's us pursuing joy and comfort and at the expense of others. It is our brokenness. And again, this is why we can't bring about peace. But Jesus Christ will when he returns to us and he restores everything he makes all things new. That's what peace is. To be restored. To be made whole. And so. I want to end you with this. North African church father. St. Augustine says. He says. Our hearts find no rest. Until we find rest in thee. Again, if you're here and you haven't experienced the comfort of Christ, right now you're going through some things and your soul hurts, and it seems like there's nothing else in this world that can, can help it, 
You know, maybe God is trying to tell you something. To tell you that he is the only one that you're going to be able to find that rest with. And if you have already experienced the comfort of the Lord, you have already experienced his joy and his peace. You've been saved again. Sing unto the Lord this season. Treasure all that he has said and done for you. Return to the joy of your salvation. Meditate on that time when you first felt his comfort. And you know, go out into the world and preach comfort. Say comfort, comfort is here. And comfort and eternal peace will also be coming. Let us pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much, Lord. You are a God that fulfills, that keeps your promises. You promised long ago that you will send a Savior. And through years and years of toil, through years of, 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 of walking with a, a rebellious people, you still stayed faithful to your promise. And now we are here and we are heirs to this promises, Lord, that we have now been bought by you, redeemed by you. And Lord, I pray that we would never take it for granted. Lord, I pray that we will be like the Thessalonian church that was known to be a church that was faithful and hopeful. Lord, thank you for revealing to you, to revealing to us. You as our hope. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.